WAGP.net. This is the Bible Line, a live radio call-in program with Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. And for the next hour, he's available to answer your questions, providing biblical insight and wisdom for everyday Christian living. Our phone lines are open, and if you have a question, you may call 525-1859 locally or outside the immediate area, call toll-free 877-924-7980. Now let's join Dr. Carl Brogy. Study and show yourself approved of God as a workman who is not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We welcome you this hour to the Bible line. If you are a first-time listener, for the next hour, we'll be taking people's questions. Maybe it's an issue you've been studying or you need biblical counsel on some problem you're facing in your life or family or ministry, or you're having trouble uh, understanding a text of Scripture. If we can be of help by God's grace, we will. Uh, you have a couple of options in terms of contacting us this morning. You can call us directly here in the studio. It's area code 843-525-1859, 843-525-1859. For our internet you listeners, that we have a toll-free number. If you want to use it, it's the 877 number. The call letters of the station, WAGP980. Or you can email us here directly into the studio. Our email address is TBL. That stands for the Bible Line tbl at net. So uh, any of those ways, uh, you can reach us. If you want to go on the air live, you can. If you want to simply call and dictate your question, we are always happy to receive it that way as well. The phone's beginning to ring, and uh, we'll take these uh, issues one at a time, Rick. So let's go ahead, and we will get started this morning. All right. We've got a live caller on line one, so let's go to them now. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Pastor. Good morning. Um, This is, it's kind of a a touchy subject. Um, I just discovered that a a friend of mine has a porn addiction. And it's it's very disturbing to me, number one, uh, because the man is a a professing Christian and... uh, I'm 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 really not qualified to give him any counsel, and but the, just wondering what what I could do to try to help him. And the other thing is, in in my eyes, you know, someone who's doing this and downloading pictures of of women onto his phone and such, to me that's the man. If, if I'm wrong, please tell me. But the man in my eyes has committed adultery. And like I said, it's kind of a it's kind of a touchy subject, but I'm just. I, I just need to know what I can do to try to help this person. Well, not just in your eyes, but in God's eyes. Uh, Jesus made it very clear when he uh, unravels uh, Pharisaic righteousness. He said, I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. And they could uh, appear to be externally righteous, but inwardly they were dead men's bones. So he said in Matthew five you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. So yes, it is adultery. And that's what he's doing. He's feeding his lower sin nature. And if he is a believer, he knows it's wrong. 
and he needs to get a handle on this because he's destroying himself. You know, whenever God says, you shall not, thou shall not, he says it for two reasons. One, to protect us, and secondly, to provide the best for us. And what a man, or for that matter, what a woman will fantasize in her mind will eventually become a reality. And he will destroy his life and his family, and then he will say, oh, how foolish I was that I didn't listen to my teachers as Proverbs describes the man who falls into sensual sin. And so now what would I tell him? Well, number one, I would probably take him to Romans thirteen fourteen. It says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its loss. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, live like he would live. Would he be on these internet sites that degrade women and see them as objects of lust? Of course not. He was a sinless son of God. So you do what Christ would do. And the scripture says you make no provision for the flesh in regards to its evil desires. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthian church in second Corinthians seven, therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. God has called us to a different standard. He is just quoted from the Old Testament. I will be their God and they'll be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. So God calls us to a different standard. We are to uh, cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh. In Paul's words here, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. So, um, how do you uh, feed the flesh? Well, in his case, he's, he's got a computer. It sounds like he's got a smartphone and he's visiting sites. So what would I tell him as his pastor? I'd say, well, number one, maybe you don't need to be on the computer at all. And, um, and if you are, you know, look, it's more than just a filter. People say, well, I got a filter on my computer. Look, if there's not a filter over your heart and real genuine brokenness and repentance, over what you've done, then no filter is going to fix your problem because people can get by filters and the filters, you know, filter on one level of standard. It's like, it's like rating movies. Person says, well, I don't go to the movie because it's R rated. Well, look, there's PG movies now with uh, partial nudity in it that feeds the central, that feeds the lower nature. So you make no provision. It's like the Eskimo who as a new believer went to his pastor and he said, pastor, I've got this war inside. It's like two sled dogs and one is evil and one is good. And, and, and they're fighting against one another. And it's like, it's like the, the evil sled dog always wins out. And so his pastor wisely said, well, which dog are you feeding the most? And that's the principle. You, you have to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he reap. And sometimes people think, well, you know, I can do this and I'm fine and I'm pulling it off and I'm not hurting anyone. And God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he reap. The one who sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit, eternal life. And so there's a pattern here. And so it might be that he gets rid of his smartphone and he has a flip phone. Oh, you think that you could survive on one of those? I hope so. Um, you, you need to because you're destroying yourself. And before you know it, what is being fantasized in the mind will be lived out by the body and you'll lose your home and your wife and your kids. And there'll be all kinds of public shame and it will just be terrible. 
Um, not to mention, again, God is not only trying to protect you, he's trying to provide the best for you. Time magazine just came out a month or so ago, and the cover story was pornography. And their theme was all these young men in their 20s who wanted to turn away from porn, not for spiritual reasons, but for physical reasons. You know, I made a statement about five years ago in a sermon, and someone laughed at me after the sermon. And uh, I made a statement that I think a lot of these people are using these drugs, you know, for uh, sensual impulse uh, because they've been exposed to so much perversion. Well, that becomes, and there was no scientific studies at the time, Um, but that becomes the theme of, uh, this cover magazine. Uh, it's not that I'm so wise. It's God's so wise. He's smart. He, he knows what he is about and we would do well to pay attention. And so there are men today, even Christian men, because they've been exposed to so much garbage, their standards are different. So we have a pastor up in the Northwest who writes a book on sex People ask me what I think about it. I said, I think it's absolutely filthy if everything I've heard is accurate, and it was. And he was advocating couples to do things that God calls an abomination. Not anything goes in the marriage bed. The marriage bed is to be holy and undefiled. But because this man had such an exposure to person to pornography in his past, no doubt his, his thinking was crippled. Of course, now his church is defunct. Anyway, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its loss. You need total accountability. You know, we're getting ready uh, here in the fall to start a support group for people in the community to learn biblical principles on how to stay morally clean. We are a sex-saturated society, and it just uh, permeates what what is happening. You know, what a tragedy it was for those uh people to be slaughtered there in Orlando. Uh, I'm afraid, though, however, that this will become uh, a means in which to sympathize over perversion. Let's face it, what those hundreds of people were doing in that nightclub was absolutely perverted. That's no reason to kill and destroy someone made in the image and likeness of God. What the gunman did was absolutely heinous. And, you know, there's no, there's no justification at all for such a wicked thing. But what's so sad is that, you know, had those people been doing what they should have been doing, following the living God, they wouldn't be in that nightclub and involved and engaged in such wicked reprobate behavior. Um, and it's, so it's, it's very, very sad. And I'm not just talking about the homosexual community. I'm talking about the heterosexual community. Sexual immorality is widespread. And so having an affair is just like commonplace and people feed that on the internet at chat rooms where they meet people and dating sites where they even use false names like they're single when they're married. And they are doing what is wicked and what is evil and what God said would happen at the end of time, that these would be days of moral permissiveness. Genesis six through nine, Jesus said the coming of the son of man will be like the days of Noah and these will be days of moral perversion. Uh, Genesis where, uh, 19, where he speaks of Lot and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's our day. We are, we are seeing visually what Jesus said would happen. And so a Christian can either get caught up 
in the spirit of this age, and it's easy to do because you can subtly, like the frog in the uh, pot of cold water where the burner is turned up lightly, just get boiled to death, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn so beautifully illustrated back in the 1980s. He said, you can take a frog and throw him into boiling water, and he'll just jump out immediately. But you can take the same frog and put him on a a pot that's cold water and just turn the gas up lightly and it will gradually get warmer and warmer and he will boil to death. And that's what's happening to people. They go home at night and they watch things on television and, oh, well, you know, it was a good show except that they had one little sex scene or, you know, and they get so used to it that after a while they lose their edge, they lose their sensitivity to the Spirit of God and they go deeper and further and they find themselves doing things that they thought they would never, ever do. So having these promises that I will be their God and they shall be my people, that, that's the blessing of the new covenant that God made, that he would dwell in us as a holy God. So we are to come out and be separate, saith the Lord. We are to be distinctively different. We're not to live like the people of this world. So whatever it takes to make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust, if it means getting rid of the computer or your wife checking every single website you've been to, um, whatever it takes, uh, God knows the, the damage that sin will have on a person's home and a marriage. And he loves us. He cares about us. He's trying to protect us. And we're really mocking the name of Christ and we're wasting our life when we get caught up in these things. And it's, it, and it's really very, very sad. And I see the sadness of it as a pastor. And God calls us to be different. Very good. 843-525-1859. Toll free 877-924-7980. Or email us at tvl at net. Let's go to our next caller. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Hello, thanks for calling. Yeah, go ahead. Go right ahead with your question. Yeah, you probably have your radio turned up. So if you'll turn your radio off, uh, that's what's confusing to you. So just turn your radio down and and go ahead with your question. Well, we lost her. You know, um, uh, people, when they call into any talk show, wherever it is, always have your radio off. It's going to be really confusing to you. Most most radio stations will put a six-second delay on, and you're trying to listen to yourself over the radio, but it's coming six seconds later. That's because uh, sometimes we have to etch out profanity or drop a call that doesn't need to go on the air. All right, let's go to the next uh, question. All right, very good. Uh, we did have a couple of dictated questions. We'll uh, go to them. Uh, let's see. I'll go back here a second. Um, uh, actually, I... as Rick is pulling that up, let me just say, uh, we have vacation Bible school coming up next week. Uh, the theme this year so appropriately is Noah's Ark and the great flood. It will be a major, um, focus of the week and how timely, because again, not only does, uh, a correct understanding of what happened in the great flood affirm the historicity of the Bible, something that people are continually attacking. Oh, that's just some storybook kind of thing. And the kids are going to understand biblically, historically, scientifically, why this is indeed accurate and true. Um, But it's also so appropriate because, again, the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. 
And so we are living in days where the Bible is being attacked and your children need to have a strong apologetic. And we think we can teach that to kids who are six and seven years of age uh, to help them to understand the reasons for why we believe what we believe. Uh, They do a vacation Bible school here, like in few places I've seen. Um, uh, I have a a son who's in a church in Atlanta, and he wants his kids to come here every year. And he's in one of the great churches in Atlanta. There's some really shaky ones. But he said, you know, Dad, this VBS is just unreal, the way Community Bible Church does it. It's so well put together. We're expecting somewhere between seven and 800 children a few hundred adult workers who will pull it off. So it's going to be a great week. So you can go online, right? How do they yeah. register online? Well, right? They just go to uh, communitybiblechurch.us, and there's a you know, slide that pops up with the uh, VBS information, and you click on that, and you go to the registration form, and it's as simple as that. But uh, have you been over there by chance, looked at it? Um, you know, on Sunday, right after the uh, new members' lunch that I had, I walked by, and they were putting up the bubbles on the walls, oh. and they were, they were in the process. And it's, uh, it's amazing. I was just over there, and uh, they are so creative. They've built this lighthouse out of, of cans, huh. and it's actually a, a working lighthouse. At the top, it's made out of uh, plastic bottles, and there's going to be a strobe going off. <laughs> Sounds and, great. And then yeah. um, you're walking down one hall, and you're actually underwater, and you look up in the ceiling, and you see the the bottom half, the underside of a, of a number of seagulls. Oh, no so kidding. You, so you yeah. see their feet hanging oh, out there. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. man, they really have outdone themselves. All right. Right, good. All right. Well, we uh, uh, while we're waiting for a live caller, maybe we'll uh, read one that was dictated. Um, we had a caller who listened to your message on Daniel last Sunday and is wondering if it's possible that Gabriel would or could appear to someone today to give prophecy. Uh, no, uh, I would say no. Um, as a general rule, he, he, here's why. Here's why. Because God has given a complete canon of Scripture. The canon of scripture is closed. And so the the question really that every Christian needs to ask, especially when they're facing cultists, is God giving new revelation? And I would say absolutely not. Uh, God makes it very, very clear that uh, the canon of scripture is closed. Now, there was a time when God gave new and direct revelation in the early church because the Bible was not completed. And things were still uh, being written. Only a few books, say, in the New Testament were written. And people needed direction. And so God had prophets who spoke, who came direct conduits of revelation. You had people with the gift of tongues, and someone would interpret it. And they became direct conduits of revelation. Well, if you can't add to this book, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book in this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. You say that applies only to the book of Revelation. Well, actually, the book of Revelation chronologically falls in the right place in the Bible. Um... It's the last book that God wrote. And so to add or to take away anything from Revelation is to take away from the rest of the Holy Scripture. And there are people today who take away from the Word of God. They say, well, you know, homosexuality is not sin. The LGBTQ lifestyle should be appreciated and endorsed. And if you're not, you're, you're a hater and a homophobe. 
Um, that's to take away what God has plainly said. To add to the book is to come up with a new revelation. So the angel Moroni, or the, I call him the angel moron, who appears to Joseph Smith, comes with new revelation. And it's just so incredibly uh, just foolish and folly and contradictory to what God has given in his word. And so every cult typically is based on some vision, some revelation, some new amount of information that supposedly supersedes what God has given in scripture. The word canon is actually from a Latin word. It means a measuring rod. And so we have a measuring stick by which we can judge any truth. And so if someone today um, supposedly spoken the gift of tongues and someone else had the gift of interpretation, how would you know what they said was true or false? Well, you would have to weigh it in light of what God has already written. And if it was in addition to what the word of God said, you'd say, well, that that's wrong. If it's against the word of God and someone says, well, God now says it's no longer wrong to uh, commit, you know, the LGBTQ lifestyle, then that's taking away. And so if that's the case, if we have a measuring stick, then there's no need for new revelation. If everything ultimately has to be weighed against the scripture, then um, God is going to speak through the scripture. If he wants his church to hear a message, he'll illumine what he's already said. He'll impress a pastor or a teacher or a fellow Christian with a text of scripture that he wants maybe the church to emphasize it on that given Sunday or that given week or that given time in the history of the church. So no, the angel Gabriel would not come today with a new revelation. Paul especially underscores that in reference to the gospel itself. He says to the Corinthians, uh, to the Galatians, I'm amazed that you are quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for another gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you who want to distort the gospel. So they were going for a heteros evangelion, a, a, a gospel of a different kind. There's only one gospel. The gospel that Paul delivered was that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. If anyone ever asks you what the gospel is, remember the word gospel just means good news. And we use the term very, very loosely today. But when the article is present, uh, the word the gospel is always in reference to the death, burial, and resurrection. When Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, articular, he's referring to the death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, God specifically defines the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And by their lifestyle, some of these Christians were getting carried away in that they started by grace, but they were trying to um, be sanctified by by works in the same way we start is the same way we continue. We're saved by grace through faith and we grow by grace through faith. And then he warns, but even though we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that, which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And so he's making a very clear affirmation here. And so Satan is the great disguiser. He's the evil one. He um, presents himself as an angel of light. And if he does, so don't his ministers, his pastors, his servants. And what you could say here in reference to the gospel, you could say to any other new revelation. So even in the early church, 
Um, Paul said, you know, in reference to someone who prophesied, you know, let the prophets uh, test the spirit of the prophets. Everything needed to be confirmed by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Well, now we have a completed canon and we just need to go, well, what did God say? And does this message, uh, is it consistent? So great question. Appreciate it. You're thinking you might want to, um, uh, what I think would be really helpful to you if you want to explore this deeply, because I've just given you a short answer is go to my spiritual gifts course. And one of the sections is on the signs and wonder gifts. And I kind of walk through this whole issue of canonicity and extra revelation and as it relates to tongues, but the principle applies across the board. So you can go to search the scriptures.org, uh, the spiritual gifts, uh, course. And I think it's section six, if I remember in that course. All right, let's go to the next question. Our next caller says she was reading Proverbs this morning and it referenced the men at the gate. Why is this gate important and why does it tie wisdom to the gate? Well, it's a good question. Um, the gate in the time of the old Testament era and even in the early church was the place where business was done. It was the place where the council chambers were, so to speak. Uh, people didn't meet in some building and yeah, here's where the city council meets. No, they, they met at the gate. That's where businesses that related to the city was con- conducted. And so what's interesting, I covered this a few weeks ago in our sermon on the LGBT lifestyle is just kind of a brief side reference, but you find Lot in the gate. What does that tell you? Well, this man who started on the outskirts of Sodom eventually moves into Sodom and then he becomes a city official where he is enforcing the rules of Sodom. And again, that's the slow decaying effect of sin. We think we can handle it, but we make, as we stated earlier in this hour, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. You weaken yourself a little and you'll weaken yourself more and more and more and you'll experience this slow decaying effect. Uh, Later on in Proverbs, for instance, um, it it speaks of the excellent wife and uh, it says here, um, and let her words praise her in the gates. Uh, That's... um, you know, a reference to uh, the leadership saying, my, what a wonderful woman she is. What affirming her, her greatness, even in an official capacity, because she's such a distinguished woman. So the gates are important because they speak of the place of decision making, the, the place of uh, leadership. And uh, that's how the reference is typically used. And so even in the book of Ruth, you, you find Boaz, where does he go? to get a, a reading, so to speak, on uh, whether or not he can uh, marry Ruth. He, he goes to the gates of the city. So all the way through Scripture, you see this, this picture. It's an important picture. And uh, that's basically what you were uh, seeing today in Proverbs 14. Good question. The, remember, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. And so let me just offer some help to this caller. One of the things that you might want to do is to get a a Bible that has cross references to it. Some of the best cross reference Bibles I've ever seen is actually done in the New American Standard. Uh, it's it's just the cross references that the Holman uh, Corporation did, or those believers who who wrote the co- cross references, and they did it painstakingly. Uh, it was just a, just a, a beautiful work they did and that they took the verses and they broke the verses up into sections. 
A, B, C, D. And so if you have the New American Standard with uh, cross-references, what you're going to discover are these verses are divided into little parts. And the parts are important because uh, they, if you take the parts and you go out into the margin of the Bible, you will discover how it is further broken up. So if you looked at uh, Proverbs fourteen nineteen, which is where your verse comes from today, uh, you would see that the verse in Proverbs fourteen nineteen is broken up. And first there's A, there's a little footnote before the word evil. What does that tell you? If you go out into the cross references and you uh, look at the bold type, which would be 19, it's going to steer you to a couple of verses. And sometimes they'll divide the verses um, into three or four parts with cross references. On this particular verse, unfortunately, there is just a one cross reference as it relates to evil. Why? Why so? Well, because there's so many other times already um, where they have a cross reference, say Gates, and they only have so much room in the cross references, and so they have to pick and choose. Well, you know how how much uh, how many times do I break up a verse if I've already done it in a number of cases, and maybe with this verse I'd rather just you know highlight one specific truth. So the evil will bow down before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The, amongst the leaders in the city, uh, evil will have to yield. So anyway, good question. Let's go to the next one. All right. Our next caller would like you to explain if the Freemasons are a Christian organization. And if not, why is it dangerous for a Christian to be a Freemason? Well, that's a great question. And no, they're not uh, a Christian organization. You know, I just met a brother uh, a week or so ago, and um, he had told me how he had been deeply entrenched in Freemasonry for 30 years, and and he just broke away from it. It had such a hold on his life. Now, l- let me say a couple things just to preface this, because this is a question that often comes up, uh, <coughs> excuse me, on the Bible line. There are Freemasons who really, A, don't know what Freemasonry embraces, and therefore, they don't really believe it. There are degrees of Freemasonry, 33 degrees. This guy, I think he had his 30th degree. So he was way up there. So he really knew what it was all about. Uh, some years ago in the 1980s, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention released a two-part study on Freemasonry. And it kept coming up. And people said, well, we shouldn't ascribe to this. And before they brought it to the Southern Baptist Convention, uh for an official sanctioned vote at one of the conventions, they said, well, we think we should uh, have an official study done. And I still have that study. It's in two volumes. Uh, And it was a problem because they had approximately 750,000 Southern Baptist men who were involved in Freemasonry. I don't remember what the number was on the Eastern Star, the woman's side of it. And uh, a number of them were pastors. But if you actually discover and read what Freemasonry teaches, you find out it is totally antithetical to the Word of God. Um, I had at one time a Freemasonry Bible. I wish I still had it uh, because it had all the study notes and footnotes. But uh, they affirm, number one, that salvation can be gained by man's good works. Uh, Fundamental to Freemasonry is that man is not sinful, but if I remember, this is a direct quote, he is rude and imperfect by nature. No man is more than just rude and imperfect. He is inherently sinful. 
He is depraved. And when we speak of total depravity, a classic text is Romans 3, 10 to 19. Paul reminds us that it's not that man can't be good, but he's not as good as he can be or should be. It's not that, um, you know, you know, man, every aspect of man has been tainted by sin in some respect. And so man is fallen and you cannot make up for that fallenness by good deeds as Freemasonry teach us. Uh, in reference to the Lord Jesus, again, with any uh, group that is really cultist. And again, I'm qualifying to say that there are born again Christians who are in Freemasonry who themselves are not cultists, but they are a member of a group, if they really study it, that is cultic and it's theology. So they would argue that in Freemasonry, all you need to do is uh, acknowledge the great architect in the universe in whatever you want to call him, whether it's the Hindu architect or the Islamic architect or the God of Israel or any God you can think of, it really doesn't matter. And so Freemasons invite people from all kinds of faith and they use different names for the one they call the nameless one. And, uh, and they are not allowed to pray in Jesus's name. How can you as a Christian be a member of a Freemasonry lodge where you're not allowed to pray in Jesus' name. Now, I'm sure there are Masonic brothers, quote-unquote, who pray in Jesus' name, but they're not supposed to. You can read it. It's in their own rule book, so to speak. And so they have to use generic names so that uh, people are not offended. And so when you swear to the Masonic oath, you are participating in an organization that has a different way of salvation, And a Christian is to separate himself, come out and be separate from them, saith the Lord. You know, there is a a, a time for biblical separation where there is error. And again, there's a lot of Christians who join these organizations in ignorance. And what does that tell me? It just tells me they're a baby Christian, that they, one, don't know their Bible very well, and two, Uh, are not discerning enough to even ask some basic questions. So it just tells me they're babies in Christ if they really indeed know the Lord Jesus. So should a Christian be involved in Freemasonry? No, I I got blindsided one time. I was doing a funeral and I had recently led a gentleman and his wife to Christ. Uh, They came to our church. I went to their home in Port Royal, shared the plan of salvation Uh, They received Christ as their Savior, had the privilege to baptize them. And about six weeks later, all of a sudden, he had this uh, tragic sickness. I went to see him in the hospital. He was all hooked up in ICU, and he died a few days later. Uh, God was merciful to allow him to find Christ before he died. So uh, his wife, you know, when the Freemasonry Lodge called him, the guy hadn't grown very much, but he definitely was excited, taking notes, asking questions. I still picture him in my mind. Um, when the funeral came, the Masons showed up, and I thought, I, I said, you guys are not going to be a part of this ceremony. Now, look, I'm not going to make an issue here with this grieving wife today. But um, whatever gymnastics you want to do about praying someone into the mighty lodge up in the sky, uh, you're going to do after I'm done and I'm gone. But you're not going to do it in my presence. I don't think they had ever had a pastor confront him like that before. But I wasn't going to allow that falsehood. And, of course, if you've ever been to a funeral that I preach, I always preach the gospel 
because people are very open to the gospel. And very often at most family gatherings, there's always people who don't know the Lord and God has their attention when they see the reality of death, when they see a coffin. And that's, by the way, one of the reasons why I tell people don't cremate. Number one, it's unbiblical. But two, you lose a lot of punch in your funeral when you have no body present and there's just an urn or just a picture, you lose a lot of punch. But I'm telling you when there's a body up there and the reality of death is staring people in the face, it makes them think. And God uses that process to break hearts sometimes. And many times uh, there are family members who only get together at a wedding or a funeral. And you've got your whole family there and maybe some lost ones. And the pastor's going to preach the gospel. So I preach the gospel. And the gospel itself is totally antithetical to what Freemasonry teaches. So again, there are Freemasons, the guys who go to these meetings and they're just involved in doing some community service and, you know, and they do some good things. I'm glad for the good things they do and some of the Shriner hospitals they've had and so forth. But theologically, they are um, combating what God plainly says in the word of God. All right. Good question. Let's go to the next one, Rick. All right. We just had a listener dictate their question. Uh, they'd like you to please give some clarification on how the Godhead of wisdom and understanding referenced in the Proverbs uh, chapter 8 and the Godhead of creation fit together. All right, let me just go there for just a second to Proverbs chapter 8. By the way, there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And so, um, you know, sometimes people are looking for a quiet time. They're a relatively new Christian. And one of the things I often tell them is I said, well, you you know, among other things that you might want to do, and I usually give them a a booklet to get them uh, started to uh, begin to read the Bible. And um, one of the things I do is I give them a book called the five steps of Christian growth. And that's a great little Uh, Bible study that we provide to every new Christian here at Community Bible Church. They find it incredibly useful. But I also uh, encourage them to begin to read the book of Proverbs. Every child that comes in to see me, I encourage them to read Proverbs. And I'll ask them, how many chapters in Proverbs? And most of them don't know. And so I, I remind them, look, there's 31 chapters. What's today's date? Oh, today's date. It's, um, you know, June the 14th. So what chapter do we want to read? Well, the 14th chapter. And then I encourage them to read through that chapter of Scripture. And then after they've read it, to go back, to reflect, to consider, to pause, and to think, what have I actually read? And what proverb or proverb paragraph, because some of the proverbs kind of jump out as a paragraph and they speak to your heart accordingly. So um, I've been reading proverbs. In fact, my, my wife, you know, every morning will put on proverbs when our grandkids are there as well. She'll play the chapter in proverbs and they'll listen and she makes them be quiet And maybe after uh, they've played it even a second time, then she'll ask, well, what question do you want to ask? Is there anything that stuck out? And then they'll kind of discuss that proverb. Mm. As a matter of fact, this morning I was reading Solomon wrote that parents or fathers should, when their children are young and tender, and I think a term he used was uh, before uh, when I was uh, the only child and my other children weren't even, or my other siblings weren't even in my mother's vision yet. That's when my father started 
uh, these proverbs and this uh, sharing of wisdom. Yeah, that's great. That that is fantastic. And you know, and and there here is you know uh, a man. Uh, exhorting his son to listen in some chapters. You know, hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So in chapter one, you have kind of an invitation uh, to wisdom. In, in chapter two, he, he speaks about the deliverance of wisdom. Uh, this wisdom will deliver you from the way of evil. It will deliver you from the strange woman. In chapter 3, he speaks about the benefits of being a wise person. And and really, you know, you want your young son or daughter to live their life wisely, and Proverbs will help them. In chapter 4, you have a dad's instruction. Heroes on the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Don't abandon my way of instruction. When you come to the fifth chapter, you have the pitfalls of immorality. In the sixth chapter, I, I, in my mind, I've, I've enti- I have a chapter title for every chapter, and I call chapter six, Six Things God Hates. When you come to the seventh chapter, you have uh, the call of an evil woman. And when you come to the eighth chapter, you have the call of wisdom. So the wiles of a harlot is what the NASB renders it. Uh, I call it an invitation uh, to seduction, where chapter eight is an invitation to wisdom. And then the ninth chapter, you have, you know, two houses. You have a house that wisdom is built and a house that uh, folly has built. And so you have to choose what kind of a house you are going to build. And then when you come to the 10th chapter, you break into a new section of Proverbs all the way through the 24th chapter. So in the first nine chapters, you have the reason for wisdom. In chapters uh, 10 through 24, you have the reach of wisdom. When you come to the 25th chapter, I call that section, I try to outline books in my mind so that when I think of them, it gives me the broad strokes of the book and it becomes more of a tool in my own life and also those that God might allow me to disciple. You have the, the reign or rule of uh, the reign of wisdom. And so you begin with the Proverbs of uh, the king, and uh, that had not been recorded and, and then are added at that point. So um, here in the ninth chapter, or the eighth chapter, uh, God is commending wisdom. And does not wisdom call and understanding to lift up her voice in the top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stands. Besides the gates at the opening to the city, again, this is the place of rulership. Someone had asked that earlier, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. So it's like the, the rulers of the city here personified as wisdom uh, to you. O men, I call and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive, naive ones discern prudence and O foolish ones discern wisdom. Listen for I shall speak noble things and the opening of my lips will produce right things. How wise it would be then for us to, to read this for my mouth will utter truth and wickedness is an abomination to my lips, all the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There's nothing crooked or perverted in them. They're all straightforward to him who understands and write to those who uh, find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than gold for wisdom is better than jewels and all desirable things cannot compare with her. Um, God says, take these things and whatever you take, they're going to go with you. And wisdom is better than riches 
And indeed it is. And if we don't believe that, then we're going to be more concerned about the almighty buck and checking the stock tables than we are in reading the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You know, someone asked earlier today about pornography and a man who has a grip, you know, he's gripped by it. He doesn't really fear God, that man, because the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Uh, It's to have a different view of the man who goes home and fills his mind with sensuality at night on primetime TV doesn't really fear God and hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way, in the perverted mouth, wisdom personified here is God. I hate counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding power is mine by me. Kings reign. Indeed they do a king that would reign well and decree justice, uh, a prince that would rule rightly as will a noble, um, is one that loves wisdom. I love those who love me wisdom and those who diligently seek me will find me. So God is exhorting us, you know, like a man would seek for a treasure like a man would seek for um, for gold and silver, as the psalmist said. So we are to seek for the wisdom of God because this is God's word. My fruit is better than gold and even pure gold. And my yield than the choices of silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice to endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. The Lord, and if you notice here the word Lord, it's all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, in deference to capital L, small letters, O-R-D. And if you have the New American Standard, which in my view is one of the most precise translations in the preface to the New American Standard, it shows you the difference in the word in the Hebrew text that is being used. If it's all caps, capital L-O-R-D, all capitals, or capital L only, or capital G, capital O, capital D, or capital G, small letter O-D. It tells you which name of God is being used. Adonai, Elohim here, Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the most sacred name of God, Yahweh, possess me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. From, from everlasting I was established from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. It's in wisdom that God created the world. And so think about that because this is in reference to your question. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there when he inscribed a circle in the face of the deep. Uh, God affirms that the world is round ever before man figured it out. The flat earth society may have had the latest word, but it wasn't the right word. God affirms in places like this in Isaiah that when he created the earth, it was round. When he made firm the skies above, the springs of the deep became fixed. What is he saying in all of this? He's saying, look at the creation. And if you look at the creation and you really just think about it, it's awe-inspiring. When you see how the ecosystem fits together and how this plant sustains this insect and this insect sustains this animal and how the whole thing is a master work of art. And if that personifies wisdom, then we should seek it. We should seek wisdom, which is, of course, found in the word of God. 
God calls the wisdom of this world folly, foolishness, but he calls his word something that we should passionately seek after, like a man would seek after silver or gold. So um, there's some great things here that we need to affirm. And if you're not a reader of Proverbs, we'll start today. Proverbs 14. All right, let's go to the next question. Uh, didn't you used to say a proverb a day keeps the devil away? Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Very good. We had another caller who would like to know how uh, you remember all the kings and dates and chronology of Daniel. He knows how important all of this is, but gets confused with the chronology overlapping and what is happening uh, when. Do you have a suggestion for people to remember all of this? Well, a couple things. One is I am teaching one of the more challenging books in all of the Bible. Please understand, Daniel is not what we call the milk of the word, but the meat of the word. Certainly, there are parts of Daniel that are easier to discern and digest. There are, you know, chapters like the men in the fiery furnace, the three men, uh, the three Hebrew young men who are there. There are chapters like Daniel in the lion's den. But there are other chapters that are very, very challenging, especially when you come to the second half of the book, chapters 7 through 12 the prophetic section. So what do most pastors do? I I hate to say it, but most pastors don't teach those sections. What we're getting ready to walk into is one of the most challenging sections in all the word of God to teach as a pastor, to teach it in a way that you can uh, make it uh, palatable and understandable to the newest Christian, but also to feed the oldest Christian. So we have a lot of babes in Christ in our church, and sometimes they're overwhelmed. And I said, look, you know, it takes time to digest more difficult food. You got to chew on it for a while. And so I'm giving you really a, a, a full banquet by the grace of God, say, on the 70 weeks prophecy. But if you think you're going to get it listening to one sermon, you're mistaken. So you need to go back and listen to that sermon again. You know what I did as a new Christian? Because I sat under some challenging teachers. I remember sitting under a man now in heaven at Ruggle Street Baptist Church in Boston, and he was an expositor. I mean, a real expositor. There's a lot of people who go around and say, well, I'm an expository preacher, but they're really not. They don't teach the text. They don't teach through the passage. And I'd have to go back, and I would buy the cassette tape, and I would listen to it again. And, you know, now we've got the freedom of going online. And, Rick, what time do you typically post the Sunday morning message by? Well, uh, we have, by God's grace, been able to get the uh, morning messages on in the afternoon, the very afternoon. And now even on TV, they're available uh, on Apple TV and Roku um, within a matter of a few minutes. Not everyone understands how Apple and Roku work. Just give a brief word of explanation on well, that. Well, they're little boxes that uh, you connect to the Internet either wirelessly or by Ethernet cable, and um, they are able to get programming uh, in that fashion rather than over your traditional coaxial cable or over the air. But people can download the sermons into their computer. They can live stream them if they want to see the video as well. And if you live stream them or you use Apple or Roku, you're going to see a number of charts that I'm going to put up. And so like one of the most important charts, which I mentioned again on Sunday that I'll bring into the next uh, message on the 70 weeks prophecy, shows the chronology of 7 through 12 as it's overlaid over 1 through 6. So I gave these guys uh, in our graphics department, said, here is what I wanted to say. And they did a marvelous job in creating a slide communicating what I want it to say. So what I would suggest to you is go back and read 
watch the sermon again. Uh, actually take notes on the slide because that will fix in your mind the chronology. You know, I tell people to bring a paper copy. Look, I'm not against electronic Bibles. I was one of the first users of an electronic Bible. I was one of the original testers of, they called it CD Word back there. Today it's called Logos. And uh, But in 1988, there was uh, 25 of us who were the original testers. And we had to do 50 hours of testing in the program and they wanted our feedback on all these different issues and uh, that became Lebronics and then later Logos and so forth and um, and so I'm not against it. I, there's real value in an electronic Bible but not to learn the Bible. To learn the Bible, you need a paper copy. Look, if a, if a new Christian, if someone just hands them here, here's a tablet with an electronic Bible on it, wonderful, but he's not going to be able to learn the books of the Bible and to find his way around the Bible. He's just going to type in 2 Corinthians 5 and it's going to shoot him there rather than, oh, let's see, where is Corinthians? Oh, that's the New Testament. That's after Acts. And Paul wrote two letters to Corinthians. And two, it's really helpful. It will help, I guarantee, imprint it in your mind when you say, oh, yeah, 538 B.C. out here next to this verse or 605 B.C. Uh, and you write it out on the margin of the Bible. You can't do that where it's going to be fixed in your mind and you go back to it the next time and say, oh yeah, there it is. I remember that. And so these dates and some of these other critical issues will begin to stick in your mind. Now, every date, you know, I don't have memorized. I, I have, for instance, in my mind, say when you mention kings, um, when the kingdom divided, there were 20 kings in the north. And there were 19, really 20, if you count the guy who just ruled for a matter of days, 20 kingdoms in the kings in the southern kingdom. Do I have the dates uh, memorized on each of those kings? No, but I know the broad framework. I know the first three kings in Israel, you know, beginning with Saul through David in 932, uh, through Solomon, the last one in 932 BC, that that represents a 120 year segment that each of them ruled for 40 years for a total of 140 years. And then in my mind, the kingdom divides north Israel, 10 tribes south Judah, two tribes, and that there's 20 kings in the north and they were all wicked. And there's 20 kings in the south and eight were good and 12 were wicked. Now look, you know, guys can memorize their favorite baseball players and football players. And why don't you memorize the kings of Israel? Um, so there, but there are some dates that are really like important to have like 722 BC when the Assyrians come down and they carry away the 10 Northern tribes or so forth. So some of the critical dates I will usually emphasize in some of my sermons because they will help you to feel your way around the Bible and to put a timeline in your mind as to how events fit and unfold. Well, another hour is gone. Several questions we didn't get to, but by God's grace, there'll be another uh, Tuesday here where we can open God's word together. Uh, I think we'll just rebroadcast the same one next week because we're going to be in Bible school. Uh, if you have children who you really want, not just to learn moral truth, but the Bible itself, bring them to Community Bible Church's Vacation Bible School. You can go online at communitybiblechurch.us, which you will want to do before you bring them. It will be a big help to you. Have a great day as you walk with Jesus Christ.